It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. This week, we have students here for our week-long discipleship training program. And as such, we decided it would be fun to invite some of the other instructors to teach Daily Thunder throughout this week. Well, before we get into today's Daily Thunder, I just want to remind all of those who are Ellerslie alumni that we would highly encourage you to join our alumni network. It's an online community for weekly encouragement, exhortation, and the camaraderie of joining together to pursue Jesus Christ. If you're an Ellerslie alumni from one of our training programs and you would like to learn more about how you can join the Ellerslie Alumni Network, please visit ellerslie.com forward slash daily for more information. Now, in today's Daily Thunder, I am so excited because Sandy McConaughey is going to do a two-part session looking at as Jesus is, so we are in the world. So here is part one. I would like to talk with you this morning about uh, a verse from 1 John 4, 17. And it's, it's a phrase out of that verse that says, As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. First of all, I want to ask you some questions, okay? You don't have to answer or raise your hand, but I know that many of us uh, might raise our hand if we were asked this question, especially before yesterday. (laughs) Do you ever have doubts about God? Do you ever struggle with witnessing about God, truth, Jesus, and the gospel? Do you ever struggle with what others think of you? Do you compare yourself with others? Do you ever struggle with what others are going to think of you if you reveal that you are a Christian and you actually show how much of a Christian you really are? Now, I have some other questions that I want you to raise your hands about if they apply to you, okay? How many of you have ever thought these kinds of things? Man, I hope I don't look too out of place here. I don't really feel like praying right now. How long does God expect me to go on like this? There's lots of hands going up. Hmm. I wonder what's trending in home decor. (laughs) No hands. Nathan. Oh, I wish I could travel. Hey, friend of mine, do you want to go to Iceland or New Zealand with me? Let's make some plans. (laughs) Boy, 
Do I need a furlough? I am so craving my favorite kind of ice cream right now. <laughs> How many of you guys have thought this? Or something similar? You can fill in the blank with a different word than I have here. I may not be able to play the guitar as good as that guy, but at least I'm a lot better looking than him. And I'm sure there are lots of other similar things along these lines that you can think of that you have found yourself thinking about. The list is probably a mile long. Okay, I'm going to put that over here and I'll come back to that later. <clears throat> As he is, so are we in this world. I'm not necessarily going to relate that as he is in our key verse to when Jesus was here and physically living in this world. But I'm going to talk about this as pertaining to the time after he was taken up into heaven, all the time since then, which we basically call the church age, as he is now in the world. And the we in this verse as referring to the church from the day of Pentecost until now, as he is so are we in this world. But first, briefly, I do want to mention what it was like for Jesus while he was here. And so I want to read a few verses. <clears throat> the first one's from Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus was tested. He was asked questions like this by the religious leaders of the day lots of times over. And they kept testing him and pushing on him. Are you really legitimate? What would you say about this law or that law? He was tested. Matthew 22, verse 3. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him. So he was tested. He was questioned. People were trying, the leaders of the day were trying to push his buttons, so to speak. <clears throat> Mark 9, 12. It is written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. John 12, 27. Jesus says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. What hour is Jesus talking about? I believe it is the hour of his passion when he, what, what the hour held for him was betrayal, arrest, trial, mocking, scourging, beating, stripes, a crown of thorns, Crucifixion, being numbered with transgressors, becoming sin for us, becoming a curse for us, being separated from his father, forsaken by his father. Death, being pierced. He 
suffered many things in that hour. And he did not say, Father, deliver me from this hour. Yes, he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And it was done as the Father willed. In Luke 18, 32 through 33, Jesus speaking to the 12 disciples, he said, For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Somehow the disciples just didn't quite hear this, and they were really confused when all of these things began to happen, and Jesus was going through his hour and wound up dead in a tomb. They especially forgot the last phrase, and the third day he will rise again. And they were sorrowing and suffering and denying. And yet there came a time after the resurrection when they went, oh, yeah, he told us about these things. Their memory was a little bit delayed. Isaiah 53, verse 3 and 7, the first part of 7, and all the verses in between, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised. We did not esteem him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. I want us to remember all the way through while I'm speaking As he is, so are we in this world. In John 19, 16 through 18, Then he, Pilate, delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Those are some examples of how Jesus was treated while he was in the world, physically here. Now from here on out, I want to switch to the time after Jesus had ascended back up to the right hand of the Father. As he is now, so are we in this world. First of all, though, I want to mention two verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. We do not own ourselves. We, we don't have the right due to the purchase of who we are and all that we are. We don't have the right to, cha- to say what God needs to do with us. We don't have the right to expect God to fulfill what we want to do in this life with who we are. 
We have been bought with a price, and we are to listen to him and do what he has called us to do, what his purpose is, what he, where he is leading us to go and to live and to do and to be. And Galatians 2.20, you've heard this many times this week. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Not only do we not even own ourselves, we don't even have our own old life anymore. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself up for me. What about this? This Christ in us and this, the fact that he gave himself up for us. Will I love him? <clears throat> Will I give myself up for him? Will I realize that that's what I meant when I said it is no longer I who live? That I am actually exchanging my stuff, my thoughts, my life, my dreams, my whatever, in exchange for his life? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's that exchanged life that many of the older preachers talk about. Am I willing to completely exchange my, my life, this is my life, to be living in him, in his life, and that life alone is what flows out of me. So now, <clears throat> I'm going to go back and get this stuff. I want to ask you some questions. Let's imagine Jesus thinking stuff like this. Man, I hope I don't look too out of place. I'm not quite as well-dressed as those leaders over there. Maybe I should dress more like them if I don't want to look too out of place and out of touch as a leader. <clears throat> more trim, more tassels. You know, maybe get a new camel or maybe car or some cool technology. Did Jesus think, I wonder what people will think of me if I, and you fill in the blank. Did Jesus say, oh, oh I don't really feel like praying right now. Did Jesus say and think, how long does God expect me to go on like this? Did Jesus think, I just want to be alone. Why do all these people have to keep following me around? Did Jesus think, I wonder what's trending in sports stuff? I wish I could just do my job as a carpenter earn a quiet living, and just mind my own business. Did Jesus ever say or think, I need a furlough? Or, 
I am so craving my favorite ice cream right now. Let's see, hmm. Camel tracks with tawny cookie dough chunks. Mm, mm, mm. I think, did Jesus think this? <laughs> I think I'm much better at using carving tools than that guy, but I sure wish I was at least half as good looking as he is. <laughs> we cannot even begin to imagine Jesus thinking such things as we have been thinking. Remember how many of you raised your hands? <laughs> Do we have the mind of Christ? As he is, so are we in this world. Let's read about someone who exhibits as he is, so are we in this world. Acts 9, 3 through 5. As he, Saul of Tarsus, was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When was this? When was that? It was after Jesus was ascended up into heaven. And here he was saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How was Saul persecuting him? He was persecuting the believers, the church. He was persecuting those whose lives were not their own. They were living out the life of Christ as believers. They persecuted Jesus by persecuting those who believed in him, by persecuting his church, <clears throat> by afflicting those who believed. Is the church Jesus? Hmm. I asked myself that question when I was reading this, and I thought, whoa, if I say that, I'll sound like a heretic. <laughs> but not necessarily. Jesus body is the church. Jesus is the head of that body, but it is his body. And if that body is persecuted, whether one member or all of the members, Jesus is being persecuted. Jesus is being afflicted. But back to Saul. Why would God choose someone like Saul to become the Paul that we know in the Bible? <clears throat> Let's read Titus 2, 11 through 14. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. 
looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself as a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did Paul, why did God choose Saul to become Paul? Could it be that he saw the heart of Saul, a man who was, who was jealous for what he believed to be of God and what God wanted in the world? And he went after that, which he believed was not of God, with a very intense zeal. He was zealous for the works that he thought were good. And God saw that heart and arrested him in his progress, going the wrong direction, and turned him completely around to use his gift of zeal for the things of God to glorify God, and to support the church rather than kill the church. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is a man who would not stop. This is a picture of his zeal. No matter what happens to me, I am going to do what I know God has called me to do. No matter what sort of hardships, afflictions, tribulations, trials, sorrows, sufferings, dangers I am exposed to, it doesn't matter. I will go on and on and on. And Saul became Paul. He was willing to be persecuted and even left for dead along with those that he used to persecute and kill. What kind of change must he have undergone? What kind of change must we undergo in order to be willing to go through such things? Was there anything that you believe Paul was not willing to suffer on behalf of Jesus Christ in the gospel? Can you think of anything? I don't think we could come up with anything. Does it sound like Paul was as Jesus is in this world? It's hard to think about this kind of stuff going on here in America as a Christian. But what if you lived in North Korea? What if you lived in communist China or Vietnam or communist Russia? 
or such places where the Bible is illegal, being a Christian is illegal. What about in the Arab countries where uh, Mohammedism rules and reigns? And you are put to death. You are, um, what is that word, where you're, you're put outside, you're disowned by your family. Would we survive through that, having grown up in this country with our padded life of what we think of as Christians in this world? Is Jesus is still being persecuted in this world just like Paul was persecuted. He is still being persecuted that way. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing, do you know this? That tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Um, Leonard Ravenhill uh, tells this story <clears throat> about a blind man. He worked with Le Leonard Ravenhill for a while, walked with him, went where he went. A man who walked through England, whom Leonard Ravenhill called one of the greatest of men, was totally blind. His name was Glenn Thomas. He would go into hospitals and pray for people, and they would get up. He traveled through London, totally blind. Leonard Ravenhill said he couldn't even go through London because he'd fall down all the steps and escalators and go the wrong way. But this blind man would go down and find his way to the other side of London and went into an institution and prayed over a crazy woman, and she was made sane. And people said, you heal so many people. Why don't you ask God to heal you? You're such a good man. Why don't you get healed? Leonard Ravenhill called him, quote, a fantastic creature, unquote. One night, Glenn Thomas spent a whole night on his face before God, asking God to heal his blindness. He mentioned to God that he was so handicapped, and God said to him, no, you're not. And so it went. Glenn waited in stillness for three hours while he was praying like this, back and forth with God, and then God said, okay, here's your choice. Son Thomas, I can heal you with a snap of the fingers, and you can have your eyes in a moment of time. I'm just afraid of one thing. 
what is it? If you get your eyes, you will be like all the other preachers. You'll run here, there, and everywhere. You'll lose your anointing. You'll lose your passion. You will lose every bit of vision you have, spiritual vision. So make your choice. Right here, make your choice. Either get your eyesight with the risk of becoming mediocre or stay blind. Glenn Thomas said, I'll stay blind. Another short comment about Glenn Thomas. Leonard Ravenhill one time left him kneeling on a bare floor by a chair at 10 a.m. one morning, and when he got back at 3 p.m., he was still there, praying and interceding. Now back to this verse in Romans that said, we exult in our tribulations. Do we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and proven character? Hope? How much do we pay attention to exulting in tribulations? How I have to say, I don't always do well at this. My family knows that sometimes I come home and I am not exulting in things that have happened, or the, the circumstances of the way things are for me in my life. And I continually have to, to go through the process of being sanctified in this area of my life. But I'm not going to let the process of sanctification cancel out my understanding that I am indeed justified before the throne of God by the precious blood of Jesus. I am being sanctified. How much do we pay attention to exulting in tribulations, afflictions, and trials of all kinds? How do we read our Bibles? Do we skip over those kinds of parts that says this is what we can expect? Do we actually take them to heart? Do we take it to heart that these kinds of things are to be expected and are actually normal for the Christian life? All kinds of these things are actually normal. And in other countries, they are actually normal for all the Christians that live there, not just a few here and there. Physical infirmities, health problems, ridicule, hatred, being ill-treated and ill-thought-of, mocked, all kinds of such things. And we try to shy away from those things and fix ourselves so that we don't suffer those things. I want to, I don't know if all of you know who Nick Ripkin is, but he wrote The Insanity of God and the Insanity of Obedience. Are you all familiar with him? Somebody said no. <laughs> He's amazing. And he spent a, you read those books and you'll understand who he is and what his heart is like. But I want to read an excerpt from one of his writings. And it's from Luke 14, 25 through 27. 
Now large crowds were going along with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Does that sound foreign in our ears? Let me read what Nick Ripkin wrote in light of this. It's called His Cross and Ours. We're not sure exactly where we picked it up, but somewhere along the line it became part of our life outlook. The idea that obedience to God's call would result in a life of safety, security, and success. As far as we can remember, nobody ever said that out loud, but somehow it just seemed to make sense to us. And it simply became a part of our understanding of how the world works. If you do what God calls you to do, and if you give your best and trust in him, and especially if you sacrifice in your service, God will bless and... Sorry, I lost my place. God will bless you with both safety and success. If you pray regularly, work hard, have all the needed resources and the right people working together, success is guaranteed. We knew better than to actually believe such things, of course, but it's funny how incorrect and misleading ideas can creep into our minds and hearts and how those ideas can begin to shape our view of God and his ways. Over the years, we devoted ourselves to what we considered sacrificial service. Instead of safety and success, we experienced significant loss, heartache, and failure. We saw people come to faith in Jesus, and then we watched as those same people died for their faith. We expended immense time and energy in service, and we could point to almost no good result that could be measured or quantified. We tried our best to live faithfully, and we experienced deep tragedy in our personal lives. And we weren't the only ones with this experience. In our conversations with hundreds of brothers and sisters in persecution around the world, we have heard stories with similar outcomes. Their embrace of sacrificial suffering was never in question. They lived with great faith and devotion. They obeyed God. They loved God profoundly. But the outcome of their good and godly living was neither safety nor success. Instead, there was persecution and suffering and loss. There was pain and heartache. The ultimate outcome, of course, was something quite different. In our lives and in the lives of these persecuted brothers and sisters, God transformed all that suffering and pain into something grand and glorious. And we should never doubt God's ability to do that sort of thing. But what surprises us is what happened in the short term. What surprises us is even surprises us even more is God's eager willingness to use pain, painful sacrifice to accomplish his purpose. Long ago, 
excuse me. After Peter boldly declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus immediately launched into a conversation about sacrifice. First, Jesus talked about his own sacrifice, what would happen to him and what he would suffer. But then Jesus talked about the sacrifice that would be required for those who would be his followers. For Jesus, obedience would carry a high cost. For Peter and his companions, obedience would carry a high cost. And for those who follow Jesus, even today, obedience will carry a high cost. We enjoy stories with happy endings. We enjoy stories about people who live with great faith and people who enjoy the fruit of great faith. We enjoy stories where things work out, stories where God shows up, and stories where there is a dramatic reuse, a dramatic rescue. <laughs> Sorry, it was a typo. Where there is a dramatic rescue in the nick of time. And praise God, sometimes that happens. But sometimes, at least in the short term, happy endings are hard to find. Sometimes things don't seem to work out, and sometimes God seems strangely silent. Sometimes there's no dramatic rescue in the nick of time. Even then, we trust God to work and move. Even then, we trust God to redeem even our failure. Even then, we wait to see what God will do. And while we wait, we embrace the sacrifice that is central to his call. While we wait, we invite God to use our sacrifice any way that he desires. Nick Ripkin. What would we do in similar circumstances? What would we do if similar circumstances should visit our lives of sacrificial service? Should we base our response to such trials upon the false premise that obedience to God's call will result in a life of safety, security, and success? That is a false premise. Will we give up? Have we given up? Will we decide that God has just abandoned us, or that he isn't real, or that we must have missed the real call of God on our lives? Will we despair? If our hope is tied to safety, success, things like that, despair will be the natural outcome in the face of disappointment, trials, seeming failures, persecutions, and afflictions. If we don't have the right perspective going into serving Jesus, denying ourselves, laying down our life, picking up our cross as he is in this world, if we don't go into it with the proper perspective like that, we will be disappointed and we might give up. But if we remember his words, as he is, so are we in this world. And we cling tightly to this, knowing 
how he was, how he is, how he has been since the day of Pentecost in the world, as he is in the Book of Martyrs and Fox's Book of Martyrs, and as he is in the lives of all those who have suffered and been persecuted and imprisoned and died in this world since the day of Pentecost. If we remember as he is, so are we in this world, then our hope will be anchored in reality. Listen to this. Our hope will be anchored in reality because the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. We will remember these words. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. And these words, again, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Where is our hope focused? on what we're going to get out of this, on our success, our security, on getting our, all of our resources together, in, in being somehow able to, to get something, something that makes us feel good. Is that the kind of grace in which we've come to by faith? We exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we also exult in our tribulations. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price, and we want to please God. We want him to be glorified in this body, whether by life or by death. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, search us. Search us. Search the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Are they pure? Are they right? Are they correct? Are they based on superficial, selfish hopes and dreams and ideas. Search us. Will our thoughts and the way we've learned God lead us into the way that we should actually go your way? Purge us of wrong expectations and false hopes. May we be those in whose spirit there is no guile. May we be embrace the life of this of our Lord Jesus Christ as he is in this world. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.